Welcome to Searching for the Grey Lady, a ghost from World War One at the RNOH, a Pegleg Productions podcast project created in collaboration with the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital and Radio Broccoli and funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Episode 6, Our Doctor and Friend. In June 2019, Pegleg Productions began the journey of searching for the Grey Lady, a ghost from World War I at the RNOH. Our project explored the founding and evolution of the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital Stanmore revealing First World War legacies of rehabilitation and renewal from the perspective of people whose lives continue to be shaped by that heritage. We discovered that the history of the RNOH has been formed by national crisis and challenge, beginning with Mary Wardell's determination to battle poverty and epidemics of infectious disease in the 1880s, followed by the First World War with unprecedented numbers of wounded ex-servicemen, and then after the war ended in 1918, facing the challenges of rebuilding a devastated country. When COVID-19 struck in March 2020, the RNOH Stanmore had to face one of the greatest challenges in its long history. Access to archives, participants and the hospital site came to an abrupt stop. In response, Pegleg Productions decided to repurpose Searching for the Grey Lady by creating a podcast series in collaboration with Radio Broccoli to share the archives discovered during our explorations. Staff, clinicians, patients, the whole spectrum of those involved with the hospital were invited to take part in the creation of the podcast by reading excerpts from the archives and recording their readings at home on their phone. Pegleg Productions was contacted by both current and former patients, volunteers, nurses and consultants who wanted to support the project and express their gratitude and affection for the hospital during the challenging times of COVID-19. Laura McGuinness, Head of History at Claremont High School Academy, contacted Pegleg Productions to offer her help as a forever grateful former patient at the RNOH. Laura discovered many fascinating archives relating to the Wardell Hospital and the First World War. And for our last podcast, we will hear one of her discoveries, a moving account of the Stanmore and Edgware community welcoming back a popular local doctor when he comes home on leave in June 1916. He is Captain Alexander Findlater, MD, DSO, JP, of the 1st London Mounted Brigade Field Ambulance, Royal Army Medical Corps, Territorial Force. The Hendon and Finchley Times, June the 23rd, 1916. How Captain Findlater won the DSO. Captain Alexander Findlater, MD, JP, Medical Officer to the Hendon Union of North Lodge Edgware, was in the early part of the year awarded the DSO 
for conspicuous gallantry and devotion to duty on several occasions, notably on September 29, 1915, at Chocolate Hill, Gallipoli Peninsula. He crossed over 200 yards of open ground under very heavy shell fire to render aid to two wounded men. He saved the life of one, but the other was beyond help. Edgware and surrounding district were jubilant when it was known that His Majesty had been pleased to confer the decoration of the DSO upon Captain Finlater, than whom there is no more popular man in the district. But not until this week was the opportunity afforded of showing tangible appreciation of his gallantry. A few friends, traders and farmers in particular, thought they'd like to honour Captain Finlater while he was home on leave, and a committee was formed to make the arrangements. Request after request to be allowed to participate was made, and as a result, a sum running well into three figures was quickly obtained, and the committee have found it advisable to keep the subscription list open until Friday, June the 30th. The inhabitants, casting aside for the moment all thoughts of the sad side of the war, gave themselves over to rejoicings on Monday. Preceded by the band of the Middlesex depot at Mill Hill, he was drawn in triumph through the streets, some of his most enthusiastic admirers having detached the horses from the carriage. The town was gaily decorated with flags and bunting, one of the banners being inscribed, Welcome to our doctor and friend. Old and young, bubbling over with enthusiasm, lined the streets on either side. Wounded soldiers from the Mary Wardell convalescent home were given favoured places and the doctor had a kindly word for them. It was quite a red-letter day in the annals of Edgware. Indeed, it is said there had been no demonstration to equal it since the year 1884, when the Prince of Wales, the late King Edward, and the Princess of Wales passed through the village on their way to Brockley Hill to open the Mary Wardell home. presentations was made on the lawn of North Lodge, where women of the district were entertained by Mrs and Miss Findlater. After tea had been served, Nurse Coppers, who was responsible for the arrangements, said they'd met with a very pleasant task to perform. Edgware had not been Edgware without the doctor. In commemoration of it being one year since you obeyed the nation's call, first to serve your king and country, and second to give your services to alleviate the sufferings of the sick and wounded at the front, with the skill, kindness and care which many of us have experienced at your hands, we, the inhabitants of Edgware and Little Stanmore, beg you to accept our united wishes for your future health and prosperity. We trust you may be spared to come back and live amongst us again after the war is over. Unto God's gracious care, we leave you and yours. Captain Findlater said he was overwhelmed by the kindness he had received that afternoon. He had no idea the people of Edgware District were so fond of him. It had, in a number of ways, been a great trial to be away from them all, and he had been told by many that he had done his bit and it was time for him to leave the army. Belonging as he did to the territorial forces, it was necessary that he should join up when war was declared and whatever his personal feelings might be, 
It was possible that he might have to go out again. The matter was not in his hands. Those at home had by far the harder part to play, and if it were not for them, fathers, mothers, wives and sisters, the men who were fighting would not be able to do their bit as they had done. He did not claim any credit for what he had done. Others had done ten times as much, but he thanked God he had played the game. The band of the Middlesex Regiment from Mill Hill arrived by train at the Great Northern Station and marched to North Lodge. The band afterwards accompanied Captain Finlater to St Lawrence's Hall, Whitchurch Lane, where the public presentation took place. The hall was thronged to the doors, many being unable to find room, and seldom has such cheering been heard as that which welcomed the arrival of the captain with his wife and daughter. The audience rose in the mass and cheered to the echo. The audience was thoroughly representative of Edgware, Great and Little Stanmore and Kingsbury, but the absence of eligible men was observed. Mr Bansgrove, in opening the proceedings, said it was a unique occasion. They had, in the recipient of the entertainment, an old sport, one of the best, who, while on service in foreign fields, had earned glory galore and was now safely back with them again. Rich and poor were there to support him, one thing the war had done being to remove class distinction. Dr Finlater, he continued, had spent his life work in the district and was keenly beloved and appreciated by all classes. The doctor admitted he did not know how he had won the DSO. He heard the call of those in distress and being out for duty, he never hesitated but went for it. That is the doctor, added the chairman. The doctor's devotion to duty was shown in his interest to the poor. There was no question of his earnestness and devotion for the poor. The rich could answer for themselves. They all regarded Dr Finlater as their best friend in the parish. Captain Findlater, in reply, said that, as a rule, he was not at a loss for words when he wanted to speak but he was quite overwhelmed by the reception they'd given to him, and was more grateful than he could say. As the future was concerned, he was unable to say whether his job was finished. Apart from any personal inclination, his view was that his work lay at home. The job of those at home was the harder. It was constant anxiety and care if they had sons or other relatives at the front. They were frightened at the receipt of a telegram, and almost afraid to open the newspaper. However hard the life might sometimes be at the front, it was sometimes very jolly. He should never get a swollen head over the matter. He knew too well his own shortcomings. One didn't stop to think in times of crisis. He was proud to think that, in their opinion, he had played the game, and he prayed God that he should be called upon for active service again, that he would be allowed to return and look them all once more straight in the face. But behind the cheers and the applause is the darker reality of war. Dr Findlater's brother Herbert also served in Gallipoli in 1915 
and went missing during the terrible battles of the 15th and 16th of August. During that battle on August the 15th, Dr Findlater writes a letter home describing the traumatic and dangerous plight of the medical corps. We were under fire all the time. In fact, we've been under fire for the last 10 days. Five of our men were put out of action on Saturday dressing the wounded in the field. One shot through the chest when assisting one to dress a case and the others close by. We were sniped at and under fire all the time. We're really an advanced dressing station and are in the midst of the troops and suffer the shelling equally with them. So far, I have not been touched. But out of 70 of our lot, eight are out of action and one dead. I'm writing this in a dugout, a hole in the ground on the side of a hill. Believe me, I've left no stone unturned to find out all about Herbert and do not give up hope. All very fit and well, very, very dirty, and so far have not been touched. Many narrow squeaks, as everyone has had. The following few months would prove to be a difficult time for the Findlater family. Herbert did not return from the battlefield, and Dr Findlater's other brother, Charles, was also killed in action in France on the 13th of November, 1916. A crowd numbering several hundred persons had gathered outside the hall, and the appearance of the doctor was the signal for renewed cheers. The horses were removed from the carriage and he was drawn in triumph along Whitchurch Lane to the High Street, the band which headed the procession, playing some lively music. Owing to the crush, it was somewhat difficult for the hero of the hour to find a way into the old courthouse where the next event in the day's proceedings was to take place. Everyone appeared anxious to tender personal congratulations. After the enthusiasm had abated, Dinner was served in the room which for many years served as the Petty Sessions Court. The band of the Middlesex Regiment played selections. Dr Finlater said he had never imagined that he had so many friends and he was more proud than he could tell them. If it is possible, he added, I will not go out again. Mr H.K. Judd proposed the health of Colonel Bellers of the Middlesex Regiment one of the most gallant regiments in the British Army. With the toast was coupled the name of Mr G. A. Quayle, R.E., who was undergoing a course of flying instruction at Hendon. He had been wounded in the Dardanelles and could testify to the services of the Royal Army Medical Corps, who had to work unarmed with bullets whizzing around and shrapnel flying. No one knew what war was, except those who had taken part in it. Men had got the VC for one hot-blooded action, but the doctor had been calm and collected and had saved life without the aid of a rifle or a bayonet. His action was that of a real hero. On the proposition of Mr J.T. Child, the company drank in silence to the memory of those from the Edgware district who had fallen in the war. The celebratory dinner ends with a musical programme. Mr Copus is at the piano and we can picture the guests gathering round, requesting their favourite songs and joining in.
So what songs did a group of men from Stanmore and Edgware choose on the 23rd of June 1916? Dr Findlater came from a family of merchants in Dublin, so not surprisingly he chose a few Irish songs, including Matthew Hannigan's Aunt, sung here by Des Keogh. Oh, Matt Hannigan had an aunt, an uncle too likewise. But in this chant, tis Hannigan's aunt, I wish to eulogise. For when young lovers came and asked her to be theirs, Matt Hannigan's aunt took each gallant and fired them down the stairs, and fired them down the stairs. So oh, here's a health to Hannigan's aunt, I'll tell you the reason why. She always done things decent in the Hannigan family line. A platter and can for every man, what more did the quality want? Give your bitten your sup, what's cocking your up, says Matt Jah Hannigan's aunt. Oh, she never would raise her voice, she never was known to scold. But when Hannigan's aunt said, no you can't, you did what you were told. And if anyone answered back, oh then his hair she'd comb. For all I want, says Hannigan's aunt, is peace in our happy home. Is peace in our happy home. Staying with the Irish theme, Mr McVickers also went for the incredibly popular When Irish Eyes Are Smiling. It's actually an American song, first published in 1912, and a big hit in 1914. This clip is from a version sung in 1940 by American singer Dennis Morgan. Some music hall now, courtesy of this request from Mr G.T. Cliff and called Has Anyone Seen My Cat? Definitely a music hall sing-along favourite, this is sung by Bert Shepherd and was probably recorded in the early 1900s. Has anybody seen our cat? Has anybody seen our cat? He's got a bit of black on the end of his tail and the skin's all off where he's been fighting last Sunday morning. We miss him from the map. Put, 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 meet, meet, meet. Has anybody seen our cat? I never thought he'd leave his happy home. Though after the gals he often used to roam. I've sent tripe house out upon his track. I'm doing everything to try and get him back. Got two cops heads stuck upon a pole. And nailed up a kipper on the door. And written underneath it, welcome home. And I promise not to kick him anymore. Has anybody seen our cat? Has anybody seen our cat? He's got a bit of black on the end of his tail. And the skin's all off where he's been fighting. Representing Scotland... Mr. Parker requested Just a Wee Dock and Doris, a popular song by the famous professional Scotsman Harry Lauder from a 1912 recording. 
He lost his son on the Western Front in December 1916, but raised vast amounts of money for the war effort for which he was knighted in 1919. Harry also organised a recruitment tour of music halls and entertained troops in France with a piano. <laughs> well, how are you getting along, boys, eh? <laughs> Moving on to Till the Boys Come Home, which was the choice of Mr. N. Ketley now. It was a very popular morale-boosting song in the First World War. It's by Lena Gilbert Ford and Ivan Novello and was first published in 1914. Here is a clip recorded in 1917 by the hugely popular Irish tenor John McCormack. Another of Mr McVicker's requests was The Sailor's Grave, a poignant ballad said to have come from the American Civil War, courtesy of the Smithsonian Folk Archive 
and sung here by David Coffin. Our bark was far, far from the land When the fairest of our gallant band Grew deadly pale and waned away Like the twilight of an autumn day We had watched him through long hours of pain Our cares were great, our hopes in vain Death stroke he gave, no coward's alarm But he smiled and died in his messmate's arms Our voices broke and hearts turned weak Oft tears were seen on the brownest cheek The quiver played on the lip of pride As we lowered him down the ship's dark side Then a splash and a plunge and our task was o'er And the billows rolled as they rolled before And many wild prayers hallowed the waves And he sank beneath a sailor's grave The First World War arrives at the end of Mary Wardell's life. She dies in 1917 in Ramsgate. This is the last will and testament of me, Mary Wardell, of the Mary Wardell Convalescent Home for Scarlet Fever, Brockley Hill, Stanmore, in the county of Middlesex, Spinster. I appoint my cousins, William Ernest Hardy and Percival Hardy, executors and trustees of this my will, and I bequeath to each of them, who may prove my will, the sum of one hundred pounds free of duty. I desire to be buried in a simple and inexpensive manner in Whitchurch Churchyard, Little Stanmore, unless in their discretion my executives think it inexpedient, and I further hope that no mourning or slight mourning, if any, will be worn on my account. The executors of her estate put up for sale her Stanmore Hospital and its land. In 1920, the Committee of Management of the RNOH in Great Portland Street buy the hospital for £4,000 and it becomes the RNOH country branch. Mary Wardell is almost entirely forgotten 
And yet it is because of her that the RNOH Stanmore exists. Because of her and her work to battle the ravages of scarlet fever in the 1880s. We have not yet discovered any images of her, and at first we could not find any references to her grave. But now, thanks to Father Paul Rees, rector and chaplain of the RNOH, her grave has been located. As she requested in her will, it is in St Lawrence's churchyard, close to her beloved hospital, which she made her home and which she worked so hard to establish and to keep going through its endless financial problems. As we searched for Mary Wardell's grave, we made another discovery. One of the most modern additions to St Lawrence's is the Lich Gate at the entrance of the churchyard. The gate was dedicated in March 1934, erected to the memory of Dr Alexander Findlater, DSO, of the 1st London Mounted Brigade Field Ambulance, Royal Army Medical Corps who is described as a friend to all in the village. We found Dr Findlater's grave nearby. It is almost invisible now, and like Mary Wardell, he's forgotten. But how wonderful that, in this time of COVID-19, both Mary Wardell and Dr Findlater have been rediscovered. Dr Findlater saving life in the midst of battle, without the aid of a rifle or a bayonet, and Mary Wardell dedicating her life to battling a public health crisis. We end our podcast series as the RNOH at Stanmore celebrates its centenary, celebrating 100 years since Mary Wardell's convalescent home became the RNOH country branch. Pegleg Productions began this podcast series in response to the pandemic and the lockdowns of 2020. And for this episode, Lucy Davis, former Chief Operating Officer at the RNOH, shares her thoughts on how the lives of Dr Findlater and Mary Wardell reflect the heroism, the triumphs and the hardships experienced by the hospital during the challenges of COVID-19. I am struck by Captain Findlater's observation that one did not stop to think in times of crisis. That was true a hundred years ago in the First World War, and it remains true today. When crisis strikes, people run to help. So it has been at RNOH during these strange and frightening COVID times. Heroes and heroines appeared amongst us all leading the way in selflessly and courageously caring for patients with an unknown, frightening and contagious disease. Dr Finlater represents the battle that so many in the NHS have been fighting. A selfless and humble battle under fire 
and at times without adequate equipment. We thank each and every one for their courage, their commitment and their care. Heroes and heroines all. Episode 6, Our Doctor and Friend, is written and directed by Nicola Lane. It is created in collaboration with the participants and Radio Broccoli and funded by the Heritage Lottery and Culture Recovery Fund. For more information and details of the cast, go to www.peglegproductions.org forward slash podcasts.